Welcome to Making Sense of the Madness. I'm your host, Sean Morgan. We're going to question the mainstream narrative and expose media propaganda. With Kevin McGarry, he is the founder of Every Black Life Matters, a pro-life anti-Marxist organization that's really challenging what BLM stands for and really trying to advocate truly for Black American families. He's also the author of The War on Women. I think that's very, very relevant what's going on right now with the Roe v. Wade leak. We're also going to talk to Bruce Goodmanson. He is the author of 100% Success Without College. He's going to teach us how to save our children from the Marxist educational system. And so stay with us. It's going to be a great show. That got struck down. Griswold was thought to be a bad decision by Bork, and my guess is the guy's on the Supreme Court now. What happens if you have a state changes the law saying that, that, that children who are LGBTQ can't be in classrooms with other children? Is that, is that legit under the way that the decision is written? What are the next things that are going to be attacked? Because this MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political ex organization that's existed in American history. That's right. That was resident Biden saying that MAGA people were the most extreme political organization in the history of America, totally ignoring BLM and Antifa who burnt down American cities in 2020. We just saw footage in Los Angeles of anti-abortion activists and judging by the tactics they were using to corner those police, they're probably Antifa. Interesting juxtaposition there. Today, we're going to be talking to Kevin McGarry. He founded Every Black Life Matters, and that does include unborn black children in the womb and he's standing up and advocating for them and black american families let's take a look at this video that kevin created before we bring him on all lives don't matter until black lives matter this is a truth and most everyone agrees with the sentiment many however cannot embrace black lives matter as an organization this is why we've started an exciting new movement called every black life matters we recognize black plight goes beyond police brutality. Black plight can actually happen at any phase in the lifespan of black life. Fundamentally, black life is precious and should be protected and supported from conception to natural death. You can't seriously support the notion that black lives matter unless and until you embrace the fact that every black life matters. Visit Every Black Life Matters. Visit us at www 
www.everyblm.org. Now, Kevin, thank you for joining us. That is an organization I could probably get behind because uh, you weren't proposing anything radical, anti-family or violent there. So uh, tell me about how this all started, uh, starting that organization. And then I definitely want to learn about your book, The War on Women. Yeah, so uh, thank you for having me, Sean. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. It's always good to be with uh, good patriotic Americans. Uh, it's appalling to hear what our president said. Um, um, and it's appalling to see the video that you showed, but that notwithstanding, that was some of the violence that actually precipitated us starting Every Black Life Matters. The reality is, is we had a lot of people across the spectrum, across America, who uh, saw the murder of George Floyd and uh, had you know varying responses to that. Some, some wanted to uh, just pray and grieve in their homes, but m a lot of people, we're compelled to get out in the streets and actually start to tear up things. And uh, unfortunately, disproportionately, that kind of uh, behavior was mostly in black urban communities. And so we had a lot of black and brown businesses that were uh, you know, not spared. Uh, they were burned to the ground, uh, BLM applauding all the way Antifa, you know, throwing their Molotov cocktails and burning down black and brown businesses. So we said, this is peculiar. And we have pastors and people of faith who advocate for going out and being riotous and tearing up black and brown communities and burning down our businesses. And they applauded all the way. This didn't make sense. So we said, look, there's, you know, after emotions settle down a little bit and people go home and do a little bit of research, on Black Lives Matter, they'll realize that Black Lives Matter is a Marxist, anti-God, anti-family, anti-father, anti-child, anti-everything that is good, righteous, faithful, and just. And so uh, when they realize that, they're going to still want to stand up for Black life, but they're not going to want to stand up for Black life in the context of Black Lives Matter. And so we started our uh, movement and, you know, as a response, just so we could be there. So people who really care about Black life from conception to the grave, they'd have an opportunity to stand with us as we stand up for Black life and, and every phase of Black life in between. For us, that means from conception to the grave, womb to the tomb, uh, fatherhood, school choice, uh, cr additional criminal justice reforms, rolling back uh, the, the carnage that Biden did in his 1994 crime bill, his mass incarceration bill. So we need more reforms to roll that back. Um, and then we, uh, we're nonviolent and we're pro-free markets and capitalism. So we're, we're everything that BLM is not. And we're proud to say that. Uh, if you're a Marxist, you have your choice. You can go, BLM is fine, they, they, you know. Uh, but if you're a patriot um, and you really do understand that there's disproportional plight in the black community, we're an organization that you stand with, partner with, and we would encourage you to do that. So, uh, so that's the first part of your question. The second part of your question is uh, The War on Women, the book. Um, and so as a, a minister, uh, um, you know, one of the things that I was doing and preparing for a sermon, I was taking a couple of, uh, a couple of uh, uh, a morning service and an afternoon service at a good friend of mine, Rob McCoy, down at Calvary uh, Thousand Oaks. 
and when he was traveling to to uh, Israel a few years ago, and uh, and looking at uh, Genesis three fifteen, I was stunned because in the particular version of Genesis three fifteen I was looking at, it said, "And there will be war between you, the serpent, and the woman and her offspring." And I thought, "Wow, there is there literally a war on women?" And uh, you know, I really felt uh, that by divine inspiration that there is, and there, there, there always has been uh, since the Garden of Eden. And uh, so basically in this book, I connect all the dots with what we're going through right now today, uh, including racism, CRT, uh, you know, intersectionality, radical feminism, uh, as well as women's suffrage, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and uh, Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass, as well as uh, sacrifices of her children with Moloch and Baal sacrifices. Uh, that were being done in the ancient of days, in the ancient times. And so um, so I cover the entire gamut of this war that has been unleashed since uh, Eve in the Garden. And uh, it's a real war. And it's, uh, it's basically a war that we, uh, it's a war against humanity uh, that we all should be sensitive to and aware of. And it'll help us to understand how to more readily fight it and understand what's happening right now for a lot of people who are not sensitized to spiritual forces or you know these types of things. Um, they're they're perplexed. What are we going through right now? This is crazy. The world is upside down. Well, if you understand, if you get this book and you read it, you'll understand, uh, and it'll make much more sense to you. Well, I definitely want you to touch on the idea of abortion as a kind of satanic, demonic ritual sacrifice. Uh, but before we go there, I just want to go back to BLM real quick because it, it's come out in the news fairly recently that a lot of these BLM founders were buying multi-million dollar mansions and so forth. We know that a lot of the money and, and Fortune 500 companies got on board with this. I mean, just millions upon millions of dollars funneled to BLM and went through uh, these these democratic, it went basically to, to, to a lot of white politicians, actually. Uh, so uh, Bernie Sanders, a lot of these people who are running uh, for president. So any comments on on, on that, uh, the, the BLM leadership, the, the type of, it's basically a, a weaponization uh, that has occurred, uh, you know, of the black community uh, and exploitation of the black community. Uh, I was just wondering if you could just expound on that a little bit. Yeah. So anybody with their eyes wide open will see that, uh, you know, these other organizations, Antifa, BLM, uh, they're organizations that are really set up to uh, create chaos. They're not legitimate in the sense organizations that are committed to actually doing work in the community. This has always been a big problem with BLM. BLM is not a new organization. They've been around since 2014 with Trayvon Martin. And that was when they started. And uh, for them to just now, this is the, the thing that we all have to be kind of thinking about, for them to just now complain about having to do a 990, hmm, what have they been doing all these years? Every other nonprofit that I know, you have to do a 990 every 12 months, you have to do it every year. So if you've been around since 2014 and fundraising off Trayvon Martin at the time, and then all of these other things that have happened in between, um, why is it just just now doing a 990? So that 
that's a red, big red flag. And so they're finally being investigated by a lot of states. Um, there's, there's seems to be fraud and malfeasance with them. Uh, certainly there hasn't been any goodwill. We've had many of opportunities for an organization like that to stand up in the black community and make a difference. You know, they've had over a hundred million dollars in some estimates over a billion dollars or multiple billions that they could have, uh, used. And uh, the reality is, is none of it actually was used that I could see uh, to actually help. You had a lot of families, 2,500 plus families that experienced the death of their children due to uh, stray bullets, you know, gunfire in some of our, you know, some of these communities. Uh, over 500 of them were in Chicago, as I understand, or close to that, that number. I'm not sure the exact number. But um, across the United States, it's over over 2,000 children uh, under 12. And so that would have been a great opportunity to, to go and stand with those families and help them to get through this time of emotional trauma and financial grief and, and sorrows and, and financial trauma and, uh, and be a, a real benefit. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, single parent households that were out of work that could have used additional uh, income to, uh, they were out of work because of COVID, but then as they started to go back and uh, they could have used any additional help that BLM could have probably provided them, but to help offset some of the childcare costs and that, that kind of thing since so schools were shut down. So just off top, there's a lot of things, a lot of things that, that could have been done. Obviously feeding uh, some of our food deserts um, by way of COVID, there were a lot of places that, that food deserts that were, uh, all, uh, that were impacted as well in some of these urban communities. And uh, so they could have helped with that. So bottom line is, is they didn't do anything with that money that I could see other than sort of enrich themselves. And that is, uh, you know, fraudulent. It is really malfeasance because they've, they've uh, basically taken the goodwill of the American citizens who saw the carnage, who see the pain, who see the grief and want to help and uh, they, they basically put that money to, to no good. And so, um, so that's, that's the biggest thing that I have on, on that. I mean, we, we, you know, we, all nonprofits are held accountable by way of their 990s. And uh, so, you know, we, we should see that. Yeah, I can imagine them using a billion dollars to help fix up those businesses that were burned down in 2020 by BLM <laughs> activists. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> that would be a great way to use the funds. That would have been a great uh, let's get back. Let's go back to the war on women and um, the abortion issue, which is on the front pages now, because we could be historically overturning Roe v. Wade. This issue could be going back to the states. We could have 20 plus United States um, banning abortion almost immediately. 13 trigger laws are already in place so that it would be completely illegal in 13 states immediately. Uh, but then over the next weeks or so, it'd probably be around 25 states or so. Uh, so th this is going to have a huge impact. Uh, estimated 60 some million uh, unborn children have been murdered uh, since Roe v. Wade was enacted. Uh, so can, can you talk a little bit about abortion and how that's similar biblically to, to what you were describing before about child sacrifice and what kind of change do you think this will have 
spiritually and physically in America if we're no longer killing millions of unborn children? Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. So um, for those of us who are people of faith, all you have to do is read Genesis 3.15. You read Genesis 3 all the way and you'll see the whole context. But basically it's the launch of a spiritual war between people of faith and our foe. And um, so, but from that time, you'll see a pattern that, uh, remember, God declared that there will be war between you, the serpent, and the woman and her offspring. So what you'll see is that there's a pattern, certainly to go after the women, but but there was a there was a real diabolical pattern uh, with Moloch sacrifices, Baal sacrifices, where they would take children, already born children, and uh, toddlers, and some you know children, child age children, you know five to eight to twelve, I don't know, uh, and they would throw them in these furnaces alive to burn to death. And this was supposedly enlightened and uh, uh, supposed to appease some, you know, idol gods that they made up at that time. But they used children to do that. Now, pa- that parallels today. What's happening today is children are being executed in the womb with abortion. Their spine is being cut. Their limb, they're being torn limb from limb and they're being summarily sold uh, their body parts to you know these these other agencies or entities, and so the torture of children, the is really similar. I mean, it's 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 it, I think it's actually probably gotten worse. I mean, you know, throwing a child in a, in a fire, burning them alive is is horrible. It's just absolutely atrocious. But certainly, taking a child, an alive child, in the womb and tearing them apart limb by limb, that has to be uh, uh, a horror uh, for that child and uh, and very, very painful and atrocious as well. So uh, that's what we're doing today with abortion. Now, here's the thing about abortion. Uh, abortion is not a right that is uh, grounded or founded in our constitution. It is not a right, uh, it never has been a right. Uh, there has been uh, the Supreme Court that has allowed some of these heinous practices to go on for five decades, but it's not a, a constitutionally guaranteed right like it's in our Constitution. What is a right in our Constitution is the right to life, liberty, and property. That's in uh, the 14th Amendment. Uh, and, and no man, no human being shall be uh, prevented from life, liberty, or property without due process. That's in our constitution. So what kind of due process do we give these these human beings in the womb? We give them none. We summarily execute them uh, based on somebody's, you know, whim uh, or somebody's feeling like they can't, you know, they can't adapt to a change or it's too inconvenient or whatever. Um, and, And the other thing is, is in our uh, in our Declaration of Independence, uh, of course, we have uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That all uh, citizens are guaranteed that. So, so we do have a basis within the Supreme Court. Now that we know that life begins at conception, and we have the scientific evidence proving it. In the seventies, the early seventies, we didn't have it. Uh, you know, I don't know when sonograms came out or some of these these other 
very notable um, uh, you know, equipment came out that confirms when life begins, but it was well after 1970. So we can somewhat forgive the ignorance of the people at the time for, for making this kind of callous decision about children. But the reality is, is now that we know. And so since we know, it should be revisited and it should be overturned. Because again, it's constitutionally guaranteed and it's guaranteed by virtue of the the fundamental tenets of the Declaration of Independence. Now, here's the other thing. I'd that like I don't to want get to your perspective real quick on the uh, how, how abortion affects the black community. We're going to take a yeah. quick break and then you can answer that question as we get back. Okay. Hello, everyone. This is John Michael Chambers, the creator and founder of American Media Periscope. In early 2021, a short squeeze in silver was initiated. What does this mean? It means that individual investors can take advantage of a global supply shortage in silver that the large money center banks will have to end their contracts with physical delivery of an asset that is becoming scarce to non-existent. Low supply plus high demand will cause prices to increase rapidly. The only way to take advantage of a short squeeze is to own physical silver. Call my good friend, Dr. Kirk Elliott, over there at Sovereign Advisors. They have over 27 years experience identifying these trends so you can maximize your returns while at the same time minimizing your risk. Call them today before prices go up any further. 720-605-3900. Tell them John Michael Chambers sent you. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm here to tell you about my new product from my pillow. Towels that actually work. Watch this absorbency test. Here's another towel that we randomly went out and bought. Here's one of my towels with a nice design. I don't know if you can see this, but you could line a swimming pool with this. This is crazy. Get rid of it. Towels that actually work. The new MyPillow towels are exclusively made with 100% USA combed cotton with proprietary technology and with maximum absorbency. They dry you faster and are guaranteed to work. I'm interrupting this commercial right now. Retailers have canceled MyPillow. And to thank you for all your support, I'm going to pass the savings directly on to you. Go to MyPillow.com to get deep discounts on all MyPillow products. For example, you get my dog beds for as low as $19.99 or for a limited time you can get my six-piece towel sets regularly $109.99 now only $39.99 the lowest price ever with your promo code we're talking to Kevin McGarry he is the author of the war against women and the founder of every black life matters Kevin recently we had this leak from the Roe v Wade overturning um, so-called decision we don't know exactly what's going on yet but uh, Clarence Justice Clarence Thomas referenced the black population being depopulated through abortion in that leak. And um, we know that the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, was a racist eugenicist. I was wondering if you could comment on how the abortion issue affects uh, the black community specifically. That's a great uh, question. Um, it, it affects the black community grossly disproportionately. So here, here's the fact. Um, there was a, a nefarious character in the 1800s called Charles Darwin, who gave scientific justification for um, people who are, you, you know, racially classified as lower on the class on his classification scale. And uh, he thought that blacks and aborigines were synonymous with apes and savages. 
But with that, uh, he started eugenics, which means well-born with his cousin, Francis Galton. So both Charles Darwin and Francis Galton are the fathers of eugenics, literally. And so they started the eugenics movement because they felt that white supremacy did exist and uh, they gave all credence to white supremacy by saying the Aryans are the supreme race and all the other races are near subhuman. They're down here. And so, um, so that was Charles Darwin who started eugenics. Now, here's the thing. We had other nefarious people, uh, including Marx and then of course, uh, um, uh, Margaret Sanger. Uh, Margaret Sanger was a dyed in the wool eugenics uh, eugenicist. And she's the one that said, look, we don't want the word to get out, but we want to thoroughly exterminate the Negro population. So Margaret Sanger knew that she, you know, wanted her, her goal in life was just to get rid of what she called reckless breeders and, and all these other horrible terms she used for blacks. She just wanted to get rid of us because she felt that we polluted the gene pool of the pure Aryan race. So um, abortion is white supremacist and systemically racist. Imagine that, the same people that howl, hysterically howl at others about being white supremacist uh, are now, uh, they're the ones literally that are white supremacists and racist. Because Margaret Sanger didn't start Planned Parenthood with the intent that she would be offering all women you know, health services. Her goal, her business model was, we just want to exterminate Blacks. We want to kill Blacks. But she knew she couldn't hang out on her shingle in her front. Hey, this is bring the Blacks here. We're going we're gonna to kill them here. So what she did is she said, look, we need to round off our services. We'll have some screenings. We'll have some health services and that. That was an afterthought, folks. It wasn't why she went in business. The reason why she went in business is to kill people like me. So if you want to support Planned Parenthood and you want to support abortion, you are supporting people like Margaret Sanger, Marx, Darwin, and those who felt that there was such a thing as white supremacy and people like me needed to be destroyed. That's what it is. And so all of these people now on the left and all these progressives and all these people howling in front of the Supreme Court, they don't know that we, the blacks are bearing the disproportional brunt of Margaret Sanger's scheme to eliminate, exterminate, summarily kill every black she can. Now, here's the inconvenient truth. Blacks make up 13% of the population. Of that, 6.5% are women. Of that, only half of those are childbearing age, 15 to 44. So an effective demographic of 3%, but yet Planned Parenthood spends upward of 90% of all their clinics are within walking distance of people in my community. Why? Why would you spend 90% of all your resources for a 3% demographic? Now, some people have said, look, uh, what about supply and demand? Well, and, and what about, you know, they're, they're really just about, you know, women's health. Okay, well, here's the thing. If it's about women's health, uh, the demographic has already been done. It's been proven with uh, Walmart and Target. And, and they, they already are, did the demographic research for all of their, their, their stores across the country. They know where women congregate. So if it was sincere that, well, that you know, Planned Parenthood just wanted to provide women's health, they would put a Planned Parenthood clinic on the backside of every Walmart and uh, target in the country and call it a day. Why do they have to camp out in my community? Unless 
is strategic. Also happens to be a lot of liquor stores in inner city communities. So there does seem to be a systemic plan to target uh, these populations. And so there's a war and, and you talked about it. It's a spiritual war. It's a real war. And um, uh, final question for you today is about this rift that just keeps getting wider between the left and the right. The fact that we have identified leftist Marxists, you know, subversive anti-family, anti-child ideologies that are just getting really, really strong on the left. Uh, and, you know, I, I can see that there are different philosophies. There are different opinions. Uh, not everyone's going to agree on everything. Uh, but there have been very good liberal ideas in the past. <laughs> I'm saying the past because it seems like the left has abandoned a lot of their own uh, good ideas and has really embraced the subversive anti-family type of ideology. And you're a pastor and, and you're a bridge builder. Uh, so I'm just wondering if you can comment on this idea. How can we build bridges? How can we reach out to people who think differently from us? And how can we, we build community when there is a war, when there, there are people trying to destroy our families and our way of life? So um, I know that's a hard question. I know it doesn't have an, <laughs> a simple formulaic answer, but I'm sure it's something you've been chewing on because of the organization yeah. you started. Well, so here's the thing. Um, the hate, the vitriol, the, the anger uh, on the left has really been amping up over the past several years. It's now at a fever pitch. And so the gulf between uh, people with different you know, ideas and ideologies is really, really massive. And unfortunately, there's not enough uh, capacity for individuals that are in this gulf to forgive. There's not enough uh, capacity, unfortunately, for people to uh, recognize the sins of the past and repent. And so because they're, they're, it's being led by prideful, boastful, hateful people, this gulf just continues to widen with no room for actual reconciliation. The fact is these people don't want reconciliation. They want as much chaos as possible. They would love to have us all be a part of a great reset, part of a global community where you know we're just enveloped in this sort of global scheme. And so that's what's really driving it. It's not per se the individual issues. It's the chaos in between that's driving the need for some kind of global governance. Now, some people may say, nah, it sounds kind of conspiratorial. Okay, uh, just read the words of Klaus Schwab, Great Reset, uh, UN, Biden saying the UN should, you know, we're preparing the United States so the UN can step in and help us to deal with our racial issues and the chaos in the streets. Just, just read it, it's okay. So you don't have to believe me, but this is, this is kind of where we're headed. And uh, when you realize yeah. that the people that are doing the main agitation, uh, Ibram X. Kendi, who's How to Be the Anti-Racist, is part of Klaus Schwab's Great Reset, the World Economic Forum. How does Ibram X. Kendi, How to Be an Anti-Racist in the U.S., become a disciple and part of World Economic Forum? Uh, this is so there's there's much more going on here than what we we think we see. Uh, yeah. There's, some really there's a lot at the very high level. Things. 
right? The, the, the billionaire funders of these subversive organizations, for example. But what about the everyday people? Certainly a lot of them are weaponized, uh, people who are perhaps ignorant. Uh, and, and some of them might be lost forever. Like you talked about their character, perhaps since they don't want reconciliation, it just can never happen. But what about the other group? Because let's say there's 50% left and 50% right. Uh, there's uh, a fair amount of people on the left who are not completely lost forever, uh, to, not completely yeah. unrepentant, want reconciliation, but there's still a barrier. There's still a definite cultural barrier. Uh, how can we build bridges with them? So we build bridges by, let's do away with all of our ideological um, um, rigidity. So irrespective of our ide ideological leanings, if we're too rigid in that, it can be problematic. It's hard to build a bridge if we're going to just remain stuck on, you know, ideology or political party. That is a, you know, stronghold and a, um, a, a you know, an ideological stronghold. And it's very, very difficult to break. What we need are people that are willing to think logically, prudently, uh, and think wisely with us who would, you know, we could sit down and have a conversation about things that are real, truthful, and factual, and uh, come to some sort of agreement by way of agreeing to set our ideological um, passions aside so we could at least engage in conversation. If we do that, we could start to have a breakthrough. Those that are ideologically rigid on the left, the leftist, progressive, that they're, they're, we're not going to reach those people. But those that are, you know, uh, adaptable, reasonable, uh, they're not rigid. Uh, uh, those are the people that we can reach and we can actually have a, a, a conversation. Here's the thing that I want to leave all your viewers with. Critical race theory, social justice and uh, other theologies like black liberation theology or, or liberation theology generally are all built on a foundation of unforgiveness. If we can get people to the point where they can at least accept to be able to forgive others, you know, have a heart, of for, a heart that forgives, then we can begin to move forward because that's the first step is if, if you're going to hold me in perpetual contempt because of my skin color, we can't even, even if we sit down and have a conversation, we're not going to get it very far because you're going to, you're going to dismiss me. You're going to, you're going to hold me with contempt. You're going to say, look, you're white. I could, you, you know, you're irredeemable. You're cursed anyway. I don't care about you. Uh, you have to be able to forgive for what you think happened in the 1800s and all of those evils that did happen. Uh, all of those, you have to forgive from that and you have to be able to move forward. And the only way we're going to do this is to have a heart that forgives and a willingness and a desire to truly reconcile one to another. And so that's what, Absolutely. You know, that's, that's how I see we can move forward. It's in the heart and the head, right? It's appealing to their rationality and also just loving them enough for them to you know meet you halfway so i really like that thank you for joining us kevin mcgarry author of war against women really appreciate you coming on the thank show we're going to talk to bruce goodmanson he is the author of 100 success without college as soon as we get back Every hello everyone this is john michael chambers the creator and founder of american media periscope now did you know that annuities are a great way to protect a portion of your retirement portfolio from downside risk and unlike CDs and money market accounts, 
they accumulate tax-deferred and can participate in the upside of market indexes. And they are probate-free and can provide an income you can't outlive. Let a company you can trust help you select an annuity that's right for you. Call the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. That's 844-USA-2024. Tell them John Michael Chambers sent you. Welcome back to the show. We're talking to Bruce Goodmanson. He is the author of 100% Success Without College. He's going to teach us how to save our children from this Marxist educational system. Let's watch this quick clip to get an idea of what he's talking about. And the point of the book was first to warn parents, to warn them of the absolute nonsense that is happening in our nation's colleges today. It isn't the same atmosphere that maybe uh, we went in 20, 30, 40 years ago. It has changed dramatically. And if I may set the tone for this conversation, I want to say to mom and dad, should you decide to send your child to college, you will be financing the effort to destroy our country. Wow, those are strong words, Bruce. How exactly are parents financing the destruction of their own country if they send their kids to college? Well, Sean, thank you for having me on board. It's, it's, it's a complicated thing, but when you send your kids to college in the atmosphere that has now been created, you're finding out that it isn't the same as it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Now it's become very militant. You have professors who have turned themselves into thought police and they basically take control of the classroom's discourse. So for example, there's uh, conservative students who felt like 80% of them believed that they had to uh, self-censor themselves within that classroom setting to make certain that they get at least a decent grade. So I'm just trying to say to parents, you need to wake up because if you do send your kids to, school, to college, you are indeed financing, financing the destruction of this country. You are actually donating to a Marxist socialist party and the evidence is everywhere. And let's go kind of a little bit back though. I want to begin by just saying that bad colleges start with a bad education system. And our public school system is the worst. It is beyond pathetic. In fact, students of other nations, our students academically are ranked 26th worldwide. 26th. That means our teachers are also ranked 26. China students, unbelievably, are ranked number one, and yet that China spends half as much on their children's education than we do. So you've got uh, a, a nation of school kids that are coming out unprepared, and the Nation of Risk came out with a report that said that 71% of our nation's high school graduates are not proficient in reading, writing, math, science, and U.S. history, 71%. And there's no reason for that, Sean. Think of it, you've got homeschooling moms. They're just moms. They're not trained teachers. They just come out of nowhere, buy some curriculum, and they go to work. But here's the deal. They're on average score in the upper 80th percentile in all the critical subjects. On the other hand, You've got public school teachers. They all, every single one of them, have been professionally trained in a high in a university settings how to be a teacher. 
and yet their students are scoring in the lower 50th percentile in all the critical subjects. So here you have the amateur mom outperforming the professional teacher big time. And there's no excuse for that other than it's to destroy our kids' minds so they cannot really compete with ideas, that they can't argue with it. And so these kids are coming to the college arena unprepared, um, not having the skills with reading, writing, uh, speaking, arithmetic. They just don't have a that, and they're easily prey. And so right now, what I say to parents is, look, college is of no value, no value to 85% of our nation's workforce. Just think about that, Sean. We all think that our, our country's run by college graduates. It's just not so. 85% of them do not have a college degree. But the problem we have is that 85 is never addressed. What opportunities are, are there for them to get the right kind of career training? Well, the high school guidance counselor won't talk to them about that because they have been basically employed to uplift the college experience by downcasting the trade professions. And by the way, mom and dad, there's only one high school counselor for 500 students on a high school campus. That's it. They've only got about 38 minutes to spend with your kids. And this is why I'm talking to parents, because you know your kids' passions. You know what their dreams are better than anyone else. And so if you just take a moment with your child to learn, to study of all the career opportunities that are out there, think of it this way. The typical university offers 85 majors. That's it, just 85 careers to choose from. In fact, Harvard only offers about 58. That's all they've got. And yet there are 30,000 career opportunities that are out there, occupations that are of, of all kinds. And this is why when our students get on campus, they are basically undeclared. They have no major in mind because they don't see anything that strikes their heart. They don't find anything that gives them passion. And so for the first two years of college, they're going through a general education uh, GED, and they're kind of floundering about trying themselves out. Then when they get to their junior year, they've got to make a, a decision on a major. So they quickly make one. They then spend the next two to four years graduating, and then when they come out, they find themselves basically unskilled and attached to a major that they don't really love. And that's the problem. Think of it this way. There was a survey that went out and they said that America is home to 115,000 janitors, 16,000 parking lot attendants, 83,000 bartenders, 35,000 Uber and taxi drivers, and they all have one thing in common. They all have a bachelor's degree. And this is the problem with it. These kids, they get into these colleges, they find nothing that suits them. They, don't, they haven't done a grand study because they haven't been taught how to study of all the careers that are out there. And so they end up in these jobs that really don't fit them that doesn't 
really great. Well, I definitely want to talk to you about opportunities that, that you've researched, ways that people can have successful careers, make great money, uh, be fulfilled, uh, and it doesn't include that college degree. But I just want to talk briefly about the difference between perception and reality about the college degree. Don't you think in our culture, we've put this college graduate on a pedestal, it has somewhat of a social status. People want a college degree, not even so much for the career and the payoff and so forth, because the, the costs have climbed so much and the return and payoff on the degree has been lowered so much, but there's still a cultural status to it. Do you think that's one of the reasons why people just keep on sending their kids to school? That's exactly right. That's what they do, Sean. They believe that it is the only step to ensure a young adult gaining the American dream, and that is only through college. But we're finding out that people are changing their hearts. They're changing their minds. For one reason, the college debts are so high. We've got 44 million college students right now who have an average debt of $37,500. Now that might not seem like much, but most of these kids don't know how to manage these debts. For example, I have a story of a young lady who's an elementary teacher and she's been paying on her debt for 10 years now, never missed a single payment once. In that 10 years, she's paid back over $40,000. And yet after that 10 years of $40,000, she still owes $17,000 more than when she started, because she just doesn't get the math side of it. They do, she doesn't understand that when she pays the minimum, she's not paying on the principal. And we've got this going on all over the country. Start off with $37,500, and then all of us are up to $40,000, and then $50,000, and on and on it goes. So parents, they don't see this, but they're beginning to. And so they've got to wake up and say, look, the college degree isn't all that impressive. Let me help by giving this little bit of a, oh, an exercise, for example. Think of 50 trade school programs, all 50 different kinds of trade school programs, such as diesel mechanics. Um, oh, goodness, <laughs> my mind went blank. But uh, cybersecurity, um, plumbing. Yeah, what about the jobs yeah. in the future? You know, if we're supposedly well, well, transferring well, to on. electric vehicles and solar and so forth. Exactly, exactly. But you think about it, you've got all these varieties of trade programs that are offered there. And every single one of those trade programs provides its graduate a real job skill, a notable job skill. Now, think of 50 college majors and try to do the same thing. Think of how many of those 50 college majors actually a real job school upon graduation? Maybe 10 at best. And you're right, Sean, technology is changing so rapidly. 30 years ago, when something came out that revolutionized the country, it came out maybe once every six months, like WordPerfect, when it came out and it gave people who were poor spellers and poor sentence structures and everything else, they now had a tool to change their life. But nowadays, we've got this kind of word perfect, word perfect te technology coming out once every two weeks or three weeks. 
It's just going like crazy. And corporate America realizes this. And they also realize that the brick and mortar college and universities really don't have the capability of changing, of tooling and dying all over again their curriculums to satisfy their needs of training. So what corporations are now doing is turning over to community college because they have the ability to change on a dime. For example, here in Arizona, we have Intel, um, Boeing, Cisco, and Apple. All four of these major companies have made alliances with 10 community colleges throughout the valley. And when these kids come out and graduate, they're gonna have a direct beeline of, a, of a employment with these companies. And this is what corporate America is now looking at. They're creating their own in-house universities per se. So the atmosphere is changing and the future of, of uh, training opportunities are gonna be huge because, well, think of it this way. <clears throat> In the next 20 or 30 years, the majority of jobs that your kids and grad kids will be involved in haven't even been created yet. The majority of jobs haven't even been created yet. And yet in a short 20 to 30 years, there they'll be. Who's gonna train these kids? I mean, you, we've got drone technology. Somebody's <laughs> got to know how to build them. Somebody else has to know how to repair them. Somebody knows how, how to, to design them. All of this is going on now, and it's happening rapidly. I actually heard that uh, Uber and these types of companies are going to be doing drone deliveries, and they need certified drone drivers very soon. Uh, so what are some examples of things that we don't normally think of that are opportunities for for now and in the future? Well, in my book, 100% Success Without College, I talk about a variety of opportunities and I go into it a little bit into detail. For example, oddly enough, I have a section called sales, which I call it the most financially rewarding um, job that you can have in the country. And I tell a story of a young man, high school dropout, buys a bundle of men's winter underwear, long johns, takes them up to the Pacific Northwest and sells them to lumberjacks. He was a great salesman. He earned $1,500 back in his day. He took that $1,500, moved himself to Washington, D.C., borrowed another $1,500 to buy an A&W root beer franchise. Well, then he buys another, and then he buys another. And then after 20 years, he decides to buy a hotel and then he buys another. And the name of this underwear salesman, this, this high school dropout is John Marriott of the Marriott Hotels. This is how he started off. It's a great story and you can make a fortune off of sales and you don't need a college degree to, go, to, to do it. With the, uh, one of the managers at GoDaddy, and I said, could a young man or a young woman coming straight out of high school join your, your company and earn a great living? He said, absolutely, absolutely. He says he's got a number of, of high school graduates who have been working there for a year or more, earning well over $100,000 in the sales department. So I get into the sales and I get into entrepreneuring. Entrepreneuring is huge. I've got a story of a, of a father, four sons, he has, college funds for all of them. 
But when the two oldest come of age to go to college, they said to dad, dad, we don't want to go to college. That's not for us. Let's take the money out and start a business. So the dad and the two sons, they do a lot of homework and they come across a business plan. They take it to a bank, bank proves of it. They open up one company and then another and then another. And after a number of years, they've got over 500 franchises across the country. And the name of this company is called Five Guys. One father, four sons, Five Guys Restaurants. And it all started with an entrepreneur and it was paid for basically by college funds. So I get deep into the entrepreneuring side. Then I get into apprenticeships. Apprenticeships are huge, Sean. Think of it this way. There are over 26,000 programs out there in the country. And the neat thing about apprenticeships is you're in the classroom learning how to do your, your job. Then you go out into the field doing your job. But the best part about those two functions is, is you're getting paid while doing both. And there are tons of apprenticeships opportunities out there, blue and white collar apprenticeships. We always think that it's blue collar, some of the, something like plumbing or so forth. But you've got banking, you've got insurance, you've got uh, social media marketing, you've got all kinds of blue or white collar apprenticeship programs that are out there. And you can find them just by doing your homework. And this is, again, the purpose of the book is to help parents explore all these vast avenues. Do you realize that welders, some of them, a lot of them are making over 200,000 a year? And the point I'm trying to make is that what we do in our society is we have trained our kids to have fun in their youth. For example, the average 21 year old male will have watched or will have played 10,000 hours worth of video games, about 3.4 years of his life. And this is what we do. We train our kids to have fun in their youth. And then when they to their older ages, well, now it's up to you. But I'm trying to say, let's reverse that. Let's say to mom and dad, get your kids to start learning and working hard in their youth. Because then when they yeah. get to that middle yeah. age and, and older age, they're not working in Walmart. Yeah. When yeah. you said we train our youth to play video games, uh, that's an interesting word to use because it's almost by neglect that, that kids are playing that amount of it's video a, games. And I default. think a lot of young people suffer from technology addiction. It gives them a deficiency in social skills. And um, I, I totally get what you're saying that college isn't paying off, that the apprenticeships and trades are good options. Real quick, final question. What about online training? What if you want to learn how to be a blockchain developer and you don't want to go to a university to learn how to do blockchain coding? Uh, are there places you can recommend online where people can get certifications oh, or skills? Definitely. I have a whole boot camp section on that where you get into cybersecurity. So you can get in all to the coding and it can be done online. You might pay a tuition for it, or you might go to what are called Massive Open Online Courses. They are courses that are offered by a variety of companies. And again, they're in detail in the book that, that demonstrate to a young man or a young woman that you can learn all these skills just by going to these courses that are offered online, 
a lot of times for free. But the neat thing about it is at the end of it, they give you a real certification that shows that you're qualified in this certain kind of program or security event and so forth. Now, there might be a tuition for that, but it's far less than going through a, a through college, which, by the way, most often the, the technology you're learning in college for the cyber securities and so forth um, are kind of outdated because right. that professor is teaching for four years, it's, it's not it's relevant anymore. He, he's teaching his old stuff. Right. Correct. Thank you so much so, for coming on, Bruce Goodmanson. Check out the book, check out the website, 100% uh, Success Without College. We're going to go to a quick break and it's, give you the final it's, and, and you can... I'm Clay Clark and I'm not an inventor. And this is Bob. My name is Bob Healy and I'm the inventor of the Grill Blazer Grill Gun. Gentlemen, let me introduce you to the Grill Gun. Oh! I would have greened that anyway. I need that! Yes! So Bob, how does your equation work? Now, hang on. It's a fairly sophisticated equation. You have a grill gun. It creates fire. Fire plus grilling equals America. You push it down and... Yeah. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. Check it out! <laughs> fire plus grilling equals America. Thank you for watching American Media Periscope, America's Patriot-only network. That was Bruce Goodmanson there with successwithoutcollege.org. That's where you can go to the website, get information about the book. And thank you for Kevin McGarry also coming on, author of The War Against Women. I think both of these guests really showed us how we can battle this aversive Marxist element within our society by training up our children to believe in free markets, to believe in God and believe in the sanctity of life. And if we keep this going, training up our children in the next generations, we will save our republic. Well, you can watch Making Sense of the Madness Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Thank you for watching today. God bless all you patriots. Good night and good luck.